Hello, 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 and welcome to the Kingston Curator here on 101.9 FM CFRC. The Curator is your weekly arts and news culture program, bringing you the latest and most intriguing in local creative pursuits. My name is Lauren Tucker, and I'm very happy to be your host, teaming up with our outreach coordinator, Mary McKetty. On this program, we'll be featuring arts headlines, interviews, reviews, and more, including a sprinkle of world arts news and, of course, some awesome coverage of live music. This week, we'll be bringing you some featured interviews from tons of amazing local creatives. Artist and educator Heather Poachman, Nick and Carl of the local band The Wilderness, local singer-songwriter Greg McPherson, Art After Dark participating artist Joanne Gervais, and musical theater creator Leslie Arden, so be sure to keep it locked here on CFRC. But first, this is last call for an awesome downtown event. Art After Dark is today, May 26th, in downtown Kingston. From 7 to 10 p.m., folks are free to explore the downtown by taking a free walking tour of arts locations, some of which have special events planned like live music, demonstrations, workshops, artist showcases, refreshments, and more. Additionally, every tour spot offers a chance to win a $500 credit to purchase an original art piece from those participating locations. Outreach coordinator Mary McKetty visited participating artist Joanne Gervais in studio to chat about her work and the event. Hello to everyone here listening in. I'm Mary McKetty, and for my first interview this week, I'm joined by a prominent figure in Kingston's visual art scene, multimedia artist Joanne Gervais. Joanne has decades of artistic experience behind her, starting with her training in classical arts and current interest in contemporary painting. Her dedication to her craft has made her an established artist and renowned on-site sketch artist. She'll be displaying her talents in a live painting demonstration tonight at Art After Dark. I'm lucky enough to be invited by Joanne to join her at her studio in Glen Burnie to talk about her career, her demo at Art After Dark, and to do a live painting demo with her. Joanne, thank you so much for letting me join you today. Before we get into the show, we were talking a bit earlier about um, how you first were interested in visual art, kind of um, how your career started. Well, it started twice. The first time was only about 17, 18. I applied to art school, didn't get accepted, and I understand why now. They needed a thing called a portfolio, and I didn't have one. But I was accepted in the fine crafts because they had one space left, and the funny comment from the, the little instructor that was there said, we'll take her, we got a space. Three years later, I ended up winning needs top student award for the crafts but also for the the arts and um, I had a knack for paint drawing and painting which I didn't know and it got developed in those three years but I also learned to do pottery jewelry design we did a bit of sculpting uh, we did work with metal my pottery stint only lasted three weeks that, that, that's for skin reasons and jewelry couldn't stand the smell of wet metal so I had to leave that but I apprenticed in uh, silkscreen printing which ended up being a 20-year career and that's where I learned to become a graphic artist and I learned to do strong drawings, high contrast, very well and very quickly. Because we would have cars running waiting for the drawing to be done so they could print the shirts to play their game of soccer. It was on in two hours. So I got used to working under pressure. Then I ended up being in sports for several years, uh, which meant that you're going to get sports injuries. And after the several bad injuries and a knee replacement, shoulder replacement, stuff like that, the surgeon said, uh, if you keep this up five years, you're in a wheelchair. So the sports career ended that day, 
and there was a year of recovery and out of boredom I painted things all over the wall, the door frames and window frames and my husband said that before you paint the whole house maybe you should become an artist and work on canvas. So that was the 20 years after applying the first time. So I applied again to university and to college and again need a portfolio but I decided at that stage I've already done the student thing, I kind of know how to learn and the internet was coming in so it was just at the, at the beginning of this and all the great artists were putting videos together on how to do certain paintings. So learning from the great masters in the world became possible without having to pay $40,000 and go, and go to New York or wherever you had to go. So I took that route out of necessity because I had kids at that stage, needed to learn to do artwork really quickly, really well. And after about two years of training, year apprenticeship to myself, which is really funny, um, and a lot of work with life drawing with models and stuff. I became good enough to become a professional artist and you can actually get a license for that. And I got that in 1998 uh, in May. So that was the, where the professionalism started. And then the life drawing sketching of, of real people, courtroom sketchings, uh, conferences, music festivals, that type of stuff. That took 20 years of training. You get good at doing whatever style you're working on. It could be cartooning, um, pastel portraits, oil portraits, whatever it is, you work at it. And I was told at the beginning of my career, about 40 years ago, that you always work to get good at oil portraiture. It's like the, the king of the chessboard. And that's where you all your skills will come from and your ability to paint. So that gave me the strength to be able to do life sketching. And when I would go and work, let's say, at the uh, Canadian Space Summit, you have astronauts that are there. What do you give them as a gift? So they got me as a life sketch artist to sketch them during their talk. I would put the name, their name, whoever the, the astronaut or, or engineer or scientist was, so their name was put on the, the conference they're at. And then I would wait for the sound of their most excited part of their talk. This is the pinnacle of, of their career. So I made sure to capture that onto their portrait. And if that was done, you'd look at it and the minute they saw the portrait, oh, they weren't interested in their portrait, they're interested in the work, you did my work. So that's a bit of the evolution of how I got to here today. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. It's also a very diverse kind of um, bunch of works that you've gotten to um, have experience and practice with as well. Yeah. Well, you asked me one time about different medium. There's no, there's preferences according to what the commission is or the subject matter. When you're a portrait artist, half of the, when I train apprentices, half of their training is on the technical aspect. The other half is on psychology of the artwork. Uh, you have to deal with clients. I've had people come in crying, I've lost so-and-so, I want you to paint them as they were. Uh, and now you're not painting what he was, you're painting what the memory is. So there's a time I did with a 98-year-old lady who had broken hip, looked 98 with a broken hip. And the painting was done, I was a little generous and made her a little fatter than what she was, a little younger. But the kid said, doesn't look like our mom at all. She doesn't look like that. So I asked her to write, to tell me what she looked like. And she gave me a whole description. So I painted what they saw in their minds, not what was there. So I took the painting and I changed it. And when they saw, she looked now 55 years old, 60 years old, very bright, big blue eyes, and all the changes. And they said, exactly, that's her. So sometimes you're not painting what it is, but what it, they wish the life was. The memory of The memory of, of whatever there is. The other thing is lighting. Um, when you paint, you should paint a painting in daylight, 
at night with an orange incandescent light and with some ugly LED bluish lights. The paint has to work in all that lighting. I wanted to relate that point to um, Art After Dark since um, painting in the daylight is obviously more ideal. Um, how did you kind of get on nightlight? Well, so at Art After Dark, I would be bringing lighting that's portable and tripods to put them on. So we light the paintings as they're done. Reverse painting, their glory is lighting. They're designed to have um, the paint underneath is a transparent paint. Okay. So when the light, the sunlight, whatever light hits it, it goes through the oranges and yellows that are transparent, hits the canvas, comes back. So they're done on white canvas also, so it's as bright as possible. Very dark layer on top. So they look okay in the daylight, but when you put those lights at night, the things look like some kind of fantasy force. So when we're at the Art After Dark, I took that technique because it's glorious in the dark. Oh, I also was supposed to mention at Art After Dark, if you come, and if you're going to spend some time there, uh, bring a coat. It's usually cold at that time of night. But there'll be hot chocolate and iced tea that's for free from General Brock to, to keep people warm or cold, depending on what the weather is. And they'll have ice cream and other things there, too. So, oh, that's so We're nice. going to have people treated so that they get some enjoyment from being there. I wanted to ask for our listeners. Um, we've already talked about different... Um, Paint, like a different type of painting that you're going to be working on tomorrow on Saturday at Art After Dark, but would you want to describe the kind of artwork that you're going to be doing? So they, the canvases will be coming in that already have the base painted, so they'll be yellow, oranges, blues, all the really bright reflective colors. So that's there, and I have different sizes, nine by eight, little tiny ones, eight by ten, and I have some that are 24 by 30 and 36, stuff like that, different sizes. So we'll be working on those all night. So I'll be bringing the, the top layer uh, black, be mixed it's already mixed now so it has dioxin purple and uh, mars black mixed together all the tools will be there all the scratchy tools you want you use your fingernails and there'll be gloves for you so we'll have gloves to keep your hands clean <laughs> and we'll be bringing aprons so the little kids won't put their fingers in there to keep the paint off their shirt yeah. so that's where they, they can you can come and actually do something and in 10 minutes you'll know how to do it and have fun then you can tour the rest of the place. And I think that's a really unique feature too since um, art people typically think it's something to be looked at but if they can actually get involved especially young kids it's really nice that they'll be able to have that chance. So it's a very tactile night for you. Mm -hmm. Which is nice because um, like we've been talking about like um, your art really does try to involve the people that you work with. It's about the people and what you want to capture from them and I think that that is a really nice note to um, to leave this on and thank you so much for inviting oh, me and inviting me to your studio. Thank you so much again to Joanne and Gervais for letting me join her at her art studio to talk about her work for Art After Dark and for doing a live painting demo with me. I had such a great time getting to know more about her, her work, and making art with her. You can catch Joanne for her live painting demo at General Brock's Commissary, located at 55 Brock Street, from 7 to 10 p.m. tonight, May 26th, and tomorrow, May 27th. For more information about Art After Dark, you can head to downtownkingston.ca. If you'd like to know more about Joanne Gervais or book a class with her, you can visit her Facebook page or website at Joanne Gervais or joannegervais.com. And that's J-O-A-N-N-E-G-E-R-V-A-I-S.com. In more arts headlines, a new interactive glass and metalwork sculpture created by third-year BFA student Martha Steele is now on display at the Dune and Despond Queen's Innovation Center at Queen's University, entitled Chime Slash Renew. The sculpture incorporates elements of play on the DDQIC logo and the traditional stained glass window. It is made of recycled materials as an act of renewal. The sculpture will be on permanent display and is now on display in the Rose Events Commons Hall in Mitchell Hall on Queen's campus.
Also in local art, the traveling interactive exhibition Sounding Board is in its final week of display at the Kingston School of Art. The venue will host Sounding Board's closing exhibition on May 27th from 6 to 8 p.m., where you can meet the artist and see how far this collaborative project has come in its travels around the city. CFRC sat down with lead artist Heather Poachman to chat about the project's evolution and close. Take a listen. We had you on a little while ago, a couple times, but most recently, I believe, on Listening Queerly, uh, just as Sounding Board was moving back to its original home at the Kingston School of Art for this final stretch. But our listeners, for our listeners who might not be as familiar with the project, can you talk to us a bit about what the project is? Absolutely. So a little overview of Sounding Board. The full title is Sounding Board, a Community Conversation. Uh, And the reason I chose that is because Sounding Board is an art installation that was created by eight artists, including myself, for a total of nine. Uh, And together, we not only created conversations among ourselves and between our art and art forms, uh, it also became a conversation with the community. So as Sounding Board traveled around Kingston to various locations uh, through the past six months, the community has been able to directly interact with Sounding Board, the artwork itself. Uh, and so now uh, the exhibition for Sounding Board, uh, we started out at the Kingston School of Art and now we've returned to the Kingston School of Art. Uh, But this time, not only is the original sounding board artwork on display, uh, all of the contributions that the community has given uh, to sounding board throughout its travels are now also on display so you can see how the conversation has evolved. That's so fantastic. Um, it's, it's, I imagine, pretty cool to see how far it's come over the period of its touring. Yes, I'm really excited. Uh, We have our closing exhibition on May 27th from 6 to 8 p.m. So it'll be a chance for for me. I haven't been in Kingston uh, for a while, so it'll be a chance for me to actually get to see uh, Sounding Board in person and see its evolution. So I'm really excited. Uh, And it's a chance for the general public to also come uh, and interact with the artists who were a part of creating Sounding Board. Yeah, you mentioned this group of collaborators that you have, and you also have, as I understand it, a couple of jurors that have been involved with the project. So you kind of answered this a little bit, but um, as the idea for this project developed, um, what was the process like for having these folks, these collaborators join you? What in this instance were you looking for in a collaborative team? Great question. I would say uh, it's sort of twofold. There's two different ways that people were sort of involved, um, or even three, really, I would say. So at the beginning of the project, I was looking for someone to help me with grant writing. I really had no experience with grant writing, and so I partnered up with the Kingston School of Art. uh, And so together we wrote grants, uh, and we were lucky enough to receive a City of Kingston Arts grant. Uh, for this project and that was really what allowed it to move forward. So once we were notified of the funding in July, I had put out an open call for uh, artists to join and I made sort of artists uh, to be rendered expansively thinking, you know, I wanted photographers, musicians, poets, storytellers uh, who would be interested in in joining this project and have it be uh, woven together 
cohesively visually uh, by me um, as everyone else is sort of working with these different mediums. But I felt like it was a, a chance to expose the, the many different ways that, that art can be conceptualized uh, through, yeah, just different artistic practices and a, an opportunity for artists to feel inspired by each other, uh, learn from each other, whether or not, you know, you're doing the same sort of artistic discipline as someone. In terms of the jury that joined, uh, I would say I I knew I wanted to have uh, Maddie from the Casey School of Art. She's been a huge resource throughout this project. And so um, I think she, she did a fantastic job as, as one of our jurors. Uh, another person I had reached out to was uh, Zoha Khalid, who was uh, a board member on the TET Center for Creativity and Learning. Um, Zoha is also uh, someone who has experience in poetry, and so I knew I needed someone who had experience with poetry in order to read poems. Um, I also reached out to uh, Zach George Barnier, who um, is a, a queer francophone uh, and also a friend of mine uh, who has experience in graphic uh, design and illustration, uh, is really involved in the microphone speaking art uh, world. And so I, I really wanted to bring them on board and uh, have their input. So uh, I felt like they were a, a great jury uh, who were able to sort of look at the works of emerging artists uh, and, and uh, we were able to bring on eight artists, which uh, was amazing. More more people than I, I thought we would be able to. So I was really excited to bring on so many people to be a part of this project. Yeah, that's so fantastic. That's a that's a very impressive number of folks to kind of glue together as part of mm-hmm. one exhibition. Did you find that you were able to build on your relationships with these other creatives over the course of creating this project and then touring it? Absolutely. You know, not only was I able to meet these amazing people in the creative space where we worked together to develop Sounding Board and sort of conceptualize what it would look like visually and and also the works that people were interested in in contributing uh, to Sounding Board. So that was an amazing space to be a part of with all of these incredibly creative people. Uh, but also uh, to have maintained that relationship, even you know, here we are six months later today, um, seeing what those artists are up to. Uh, even some of the artists and I have, have talked about working on future collaborations together. Um, and uh, Zoha, one of the jurors, also has a, a podcast that we recently um, collaborated on as well. So that was great to, to be a part of Zoha's podcast. Um, so still keeping in touch with all of these artists, seeing their journeys, and uh, hopefully being able to uh, collaborate again in the future. So um, it was a great opportunity for me to meet some incredibly creative people um, and also uh, continue to, to watch their journey grow um, and hope that, you know, Sounding Board has been uh, sort of a, a platform to help uh, springboard part of that that career by getting their their work out into the public and for such a long exhibition time. Absolutely, yeah. So um, Sounding Board obviously has been this big labor of of love, this kind of longstanding project for you. But is there anything you could tell us about that we can look forward to from you or any socials that we can keep up with you on? Absolutely. My uh, my social media is 
uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Ruby Artist, R-U-B-I-A-R-T-I-S-T. Um, you can also find me on my website, uh, rubyartist.com, again, R-U-B-I-A-R-T-I-S-T.com. Uh, I'm offering classes. I will be at uh, the Kingston School of Art for the closing exhibition on May 27th from 6 to 8 p.m. So if you're interested uh, in hearing me chat a little bit more about uh, Sunny Board and meeting some of the incredible artists who've been involved in its creation and seeing, you know, the way in which the conversation has evolved, I would encourage you to come out. Uh, it's open to the public. Uh, everyone is welcome to come. And uh, I hope to be offering a lot more um, opportunities like this for emerging artists to come in the future. Awesome. That is so great to hear, Heather. So listeners, Sounding Board's closing exhibition, like they said, is on May 27th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Kingston School of Art. Be sure not to miss your chance to check out this extremely unique local piece. And thank you again, Heather. Amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We appreciate having you. Don't miss your chance to see Sounding Board, a community conversation on display until May 27th at the Kingston School of Art. Some fantastic news coming from local musician Tom Savage this week. After the unfortunate theft of Savage's instruments and gear from his vehicle in a rural area of the KMP Trail on Saturday, May 13th, the guitars were returned a week later, almost to the hour, on Saturday, May 20th. After an unsuccessful attempt made by the thief to ransom the instruments back to Savage, the work by his friends, the broader public online, and local police returned the guitars back to him at last, with no arrests being made. Among those factors involved in returning the instruments home, Tom credits the viral social media posts about the theft, as well as, quote, people wanting to do the right thing with regards to the return of these instruments, and he says he is, quote, just happy to have my instruments back. If you want to see these guitars in action, you can catch his band Dead Root Revival at the Rainbow in Ottawa on Saturday, June 3rd, or in Kingston at the RCHA on Saturday, June 10th. And be sure you don't miss him with the Savage Family Band at Spring Reverb on Sunday, June 4th at the Mansion. Visit tomsavage.ca for tickets and more details. CFRC is counting down the arrival of Spring Reverb to downtown Kingston next weekend from June 1st to 4th. CFRC sat down with singer-songwriter Greg McPherson to chat about his upcoming gig and settling into the Kingston music scene. Greg, welcome to CFRC. We are so excited to have you. Ah, I'm excited to be here, Lauren. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Of course, of course. Uh, So excited for the festival and having everybody here, including yourself. So, Greg, as I understand it, you've been writing and performing in Winnipeg for most of your career, but you've recently joined us here in Kingston uh, to stay, as I understand it, making you a part of our local music scene. I really hope the move has gone well for you and yours, but can you talk to us a bit about how you found that adjustment as a musician working and playing out of a new city? Well, it's still pretty new. Yeah, I've only been here, you know, less than less than half a year, and um yeah, it's been great. I have family down here and uh, my partner and I, we've been talking about about moving east for, you know, for a long time. And uh, yeah, it's just a new climate, uh, new opportunities, and it's really great to be here. I'm I'm interested in, in uh, this festival. I'm looking forward to meeting new people in the community. And uh, yeah, so far so good, though. Kingston's a great city and it was an easy choice when we were offered the chance to come. So yeah, glad to be here for sure. 
That's so awesome to hear that that's been going well for you. Are you looking forward to Spring Reverb as kind of a new opportunity to network and meet local folks you haven't had the chance to connect with yet? Yeah, I am. I'm really excited about the chance to perform here too as a as a local. Like I think that's yeah. uh, it's been a long time for me. I've moved a lot of times in my life. I've lived in geez, seven or eight different provinces and oh, okay. um, Yeah, but I haven't <laughs> but I've been in Winnipeg primarily for geez, like 15 years. So it's really fun to be somewhere new and to meet new people and I don't know, there's something about about um challenging yourself and and making changes even though they may not be uh the easiest thing to do. It's nice to, to uh, feel um, the newness of a new community in a new city. And yeah, I'm really excited about this festival and I'm looking forward to, to crossing paths with lots of local people and, and just getting a better feel for my new, my new town. In visiting your website, I noticed this um, somewhat recent update that you shared uh, in February of this year. Uh, quote, been too long. The world feels different. Time to make music, new recordings and shows coming soon. Now, I'm sure that feeling different, this feeling of waiting is something that a lot of folks can connect with as far as music goes. But what's changed for you from a creative perspective? What's the impetus or the trajectory to get back out there with new tracks and shows? Well, you know, it's funny for me, my uh, my life changed quite a bit when the pandemic struck because just a f- like a few months after uh, everything got locked down in Winnipeg, um, my my partner and I had a baby. So I've, I'm a new parent, which oh, is... congratulations. You know, yeah, it's kind of weird. So, you know, I, I got hit from both sides, though. So suddenly, you know, on a personal note, I was uh, I was home a lot more and I tried to be home a lot more to be around my little boy. But then also the pandemic slowed everything down for all of us and there wasn't the same opportunity that had been there previously to tour. And a lot of the venues that I had previously toured through, they, they were either shut down or just really booking sparsely. And there was a lot of, you know, as you know, there's a lot of a um, uh, lot less clarity for from, from week to week as to what lockdown measures each community was taking. You couldn't necessarily book a tour as easily and know that your, your venue would even be there waiting for you when you got there. So. Yeah, I think, you know, coming to town now, coming to Kingston, and uh, I have a ton of new music that I've been writing um, during during that whole three-year period, and I'm just itching to play. I'm so excited to get back to playing. I've played a bunch of shows over the last few years, but but primarily local in, in Manitoba, so I'm really excited to be here and to start touring. And one of the other ideas for me in moving down to, to southern Ontario is just the number of communities that I could I could tour through and play play in. Uh, within a few, you know, a few hours drive of Kingston. It's just fantastic. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here and and I'm riding a wave of creativity and, and kind of energy that's uh, it's pretty fun and exciting. Oh, that's so awesome to hear. Yeah, I guess um, Southern Ontario definitely has some places that are really close together, all these different centers. Um, so you talked about this new music that we can hopefully look forward to and playing it. Do you find that playing it live at something like Spring Reverb is pretty integral to your process? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, even just as a human being, it's uh, for me, it's it's integral to my mental health to be performing and playing and playing. Um, it's a gift that I've I've discovered for myself, you know, for many years. That uh, if I don't perform, I bottle a lot of energy up, and uh, yeah, performance is an opportunity for me to to learn something as much about myself as it is maybe for an audience to to be entertained. You know, it's it's uh, performance art in a way, I guess, and. Uh, 
I'm really, I'm really uh, driven by the idea of performing. I like writing, I like recording, but I think performing for me is the, is the reason I do this. So yeah, I'm super looking forward to the show on the third and I can't wait to, to get on stage and start singing these new songs. I've always, you know, I've had a few young people in my life I've talked to about, about playing music and trying to encourage them to, to write and, and to, to be musicians. And the thing I always come back to is that it's all a gift. Like there's nothing negative about about picking up an instrument and, and making sound, you know, it's just a total gift. Like if you think about it, um, personally, you, you write something that you like. It's just a gift out of thin air that you've created out of your imagination. And then if you share it with someone else and they like it in a performance, um, what, a, what a gift that is, right? And then to record something, it's a totally different experience. And, and it too can be just a magical um, uh, gift to, to get for yourself to hear your hear your recording years later and to have that kind of time capsule and and um, you know an ear to what you sound like at any given at any given moment when when the recording button is pressed like it's yeah it's a gift that keeps on giving you know music is is something to celebrate and I'm really pleased to see that uh, you know Kingston and, and uh, Kingston Punk Productions and, and Spring Reverb um, they're doing it right it's pretty cool Thank you so much for being here, Greg. Listeners, Greg McPherson is playing Musiki Cafe on Saturday, June 3rd with 1 p.m. Doors, a lovely summer Saturday afternoon show with supporting acts John McClurg, Megan Hamilton, and Evan Jackson. It's a free show, so be sure to check it out. And thank you so much again, Greg. My pleasure, Lauren. Thank you for the invite. See you soon, I hope. Of course. See you soon. For more in Spring Reverb news, we also sat down with Nick and Carl, members of the local band The Wilderness, for some more Spring Reverb gigs to look forward to. The Wilderness just returned back to Kingston from their second tour out to the East Coast, Labrador more specifically. Here they are chatting about their travels and what to expect from Spring Reverb and their new music. As I understand it, you folks have been pretty busy. You just returned from a tour out in Labrador uh, playing these shows. And as I understand it, making the journey maybe because of a special request of some kind from uh, someone uh, local in Kingston. Can you tell us a little bit about how this new Labrador tour came to be and how the tour went? Uh, Yeah, so we drove to Labrador because we are stubborn. Uh, (laughs) Because, yeah, we had a fan reach out on our Instagram page. It was like 2021 or 2022. We announced the tour that we were going out west. We're like, cross-Canada tour, cross-Canada tour. And this person was like, hey, you can't say that uh, because you're not coming to Labrador. (laughs) (laughs) We were like, okay, how do we get there? And sure enough, a couple days later, there they were in our inbox saying like, hey, me and a few of my friends are all like working for the military. We're stationed at CFB Goose Bay. Like, you should actually come here. Let's make this happen. And so we booked a little run out there and we I say little it's it's like several thousand kilometers away um, we booked a short run out there where we played on the base and we played at a theater and we stopped in Labrador City as well which is on the way and it was such a good time and we made such like good lasting connections there that we decided to go back we just went uh, this was a week or so ago now yeah. we just got back about a week or so ago we played twice in Labrador City twice in Happy Valley Goose Bay because apparently we have fans in Labrador now and uh Part of our ethos as a band has always been that we've been willing to go wherever the road takes us and uh, 
that's a long friggin' road, but uh, we went there. <laughs> so. The place in Labrador City that we played, we were the first band from, I think, out of the province and maybe out of the city. That I thought it was out of town. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm sure they were really excited to welcome you guys in for that, considering that. Um, is there a different energy, do you find, playing out of town so far in the Kingston area and how you prepare or uh, what the audience or the scene is like? <sighs> Well, I think there is a lot of differences between audiences and it just is so different depending on where you are in Canada and historically we've been willing to be road dogs and hit the road, go wherever and then play to nobody. Uh, over the past few years that has changed a little and we have had people coming out to, you know, our first show in Regina or our first show in Saskatoon, we had actually some people there. Um, uh, but yeah, every place is a little different and uh, I don't know, it's really fun to roll with the local punches. Absolutely. <laughs> Newfoundland yeah. definitely has an energy. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like the uh, bringing the cross Canada tour, very literal kind of seeing all the different energies you can come across. Um, so let's chat. I think it would be great to chat about Spring Reverb. So you folks will be playing the Ale House on Saturday, June 3rd with supporting acts, the Backsteps, Hotel Mira, and New Friends. So what can you say you are most looking forward to about the gig and maybe about spring reverb in general well okay so the gig is gonna be sweet uh we right. have a lot of new music <laughs> to play that we've been working on um a lot of folks know that we had a, a little studio space on Howe island that we were renting for about six months where we wrote most of uh what's going to become our next record and we're going to play a lot of what that record's going to be at this show so we got a lot of new music to play that we're really really proud of that kingston hasn't heard before labrador's heard it uh, <laughs> kingston hasn't heard <laughs> they it they got yet. the sneak preview so, before yeah, yeah lucky ones up there but uh, so we got a lot of new music to play we're really really proud of how it sounds and like we're sharing the stage with some cool people too like that's a quite the lineup it's always nice to play at home uh but like the conference itself spring reverb is like it's got all these concerts going on there's a bajillion cool acts from here in Kingston and from out of town coming in that like I am gonna go see hopefully um I'm actually really bummed there's one concert I really want to see at the same time as our concert oh um, yeah <laughs> but there's all these panels and workshops they've got like industry folks coming in from a bunch of different realms A&R and booking and radio and what have you and it's like a really good education opportunity for local bands that are looking to make connections and when I say that I mean like us uh too specifically because we like those are exactly the kind of folks that we want to be networking with, right? Like those, Absolutely. The, that's some of like the next steps that we want to take is building a broader team with the kind of folks that are coming to town. So basically we just want to play for our bread, you know? <laughs> like we just <laughs> we just want to strut our stuff, show what we got, show off some of the new tunes and uh in good company I think yeah absolutely and as an independent band it's like a really uh, important sort of stage to be able to take and uh, to get that little foot in the door with the industry people and at the same time uh, get to network with all the other independent artists that Kingston has fostered yeah absolutely do you find that um, you're already pretty well integrated along with other independent Kingston artists do you feel that's a, a network of support for you I would think so but at the same time like it, I think that just comes with being a for a long time right and yeah we're in our eighth year as a band now mm -hmm. and so that it kind of feels like an eternity for independent bands I think a lot yeah. of people sort of didn't want to continue after COVID and stuff like that and we happen to be some of the few that persevered so I, I think probably in the community we're seen as old heads uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the same time like I don't know what 
we're trying to keep it fresh for ourselves, so we're hoping that other people notice that. Right, and you know, you, you talk about maybe being staples, I'll say that, uh, in the community, uh, but bringing this kind of fresh music to spring reverb, just out of a little bit of personal curiosity, and I bet some of our listeners' curiosity too, or can we anticipate a kind of a release of that music maybe on streaming or physical mediums uh, coming uh, up soon? Eventually you can, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but that's, uh, that's still uh, long in the making. Right, uh, right. We, we're just excited to have the songs written and performable at our standard. And so we're, and like live shows are our bread and butter. Uh, right. We, we've always been that kind of band and so playing the songs live we know they're going to change a bit we haven't even recorded the final versions of it so eventually they'll come out but not until we've played them live a few times right for sure so you find that live performance like spring reverb is that really integral to your creative process as a band i would say so yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely yeah like you don't really know what you want the song to be until you've seen an audience react to it absolutely yeah, yeah that's a really cool insight thank you so much for sharing that um just to kind of start to bring things roll them to a close what can you say folks can expect or look forward to from this spring reverb show from the wilderness high energy rock and roll yes. good stories new songs Good collaborators. Showbiz, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Showbiz. I love that. That sounds just like a fantastic uh, way to maybe kind of end it off. So thank you so much for being here, Carl and Nick. We are looking forward to the show. Listeners, The Wilderness will be playing The Ale House on Saturday, June 3rd as part of Spring Reverb. Doors are at 7 p.m. and tickets are only $20. Available at kppconcerts.com. Be sure to check it out. And thank you again. Thanks so much for having us. Cheers. As you can certainly hear, plenty of fantastic live music coming up to the local area in Spring Reverb and beyond. In fact, I'm going to throw it over to CFRC's Outreach Coordinator, Mary McKetty, for your local music calendar, and then an interview with Kingston's very own Godfather of Funk, Cacao, prior to his Spring Reverb performance. Check it out. This evening from 8 to 11 p.m., the Big Fat Horn Band is back at the Stand Easy in the Royal Canadian Horse Artillery Club, located at 193 Ontario Street. This 10-piece band is an RCHA staple, featuring six horns and vocalist Michael K. Myers to bring you a selection of music from across the decades. Accompanying them to the stage is special guest Carly Walker. Tickets are available for $20 either at the door or by calling 613-542-8152 with your credit card in hand. Tomorrow, May 27th, has got numerous performances around the city going on. To start off, Umberloon is live from 3 to 5 p.m. at The Mansion, located at 506 Princess Street. Umberloon brings a spooky acoustic vibe to their performance with Roots, Canadiana, and Whistling Solos. Usually based out of Perth, Umberloon will be visiting Kingston for this year's Soul Shine Summer Concert Series, which will be taking place every Saturday and Sunday until the end of June. Umberloon and all other Soul Shine Summer Concert Series shows are free to attend, so make sure to head over to the Mansion Patio. Next up, acclaimed Ottawa-based songmaker Graven is joined by Dennis Elworth, who's coming all the way from PEI at Hotel Wolf Island, located at 1237 County Road 96. Maddie McKechnie, better known as Graven, is an independent folk rock singer and songwriter, with 15 major releases to his name, and his most recent album, Simple Complex, was mixed by Juno Award winner Joel Plaskett. 
With him on the stage is songwriter and producer Dennis Elworth, who has worked with greats like Gord Downey and had his music featured on the CBC, Netflix, and HBO. You can catch both artists for $20 in advance by visiting eventbrite.com, and that's E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot com, or for $25 at the door. Doors open at 7.30pm and the show runs from 8 to 10pm, so check out the Wolf Island Fairy Time so you don't miss out. Your last lineup for Saturday is brought to you by The Stairs, who are performing starting at 9pm at the Royal Tavern 2.0, located at 344 Princess Street. Kingston's notorious party band offers you covers of classic dance songs to keep you grooving all night long. Cover is free, so get out your dancing shoes and head on over. Coming up on Sunday, the Kingston Blues Society presents Canadian blues legend Jack DeKeyser from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Standeasy in the Royal Canadian Horse Artillery Club, located at 193 Ontario Street. DeKeyser is a two-time Juno Award winner and seven-time Maple Blues Award winner, so his show is one you want to see. Limited tickets are available, so call 613-542-8152 or email bruce at kingstonbluesociety.ca to purchase your tickets for $30. Also on Sunday, acclaimed jazz bassist Mark Godfrey performs from 7 to 10 p.m. at Hotel Wolf Island, located at 1237 County Road 96. Another Juno Award winner, Godfrey is an up-and-coming face in Canadian jazz. Seen in his versatile work on electric and double bass and in collaborations with Canadian jazz artists like Kelly Lee Evans. His show is free to attend, so visit whyfairy.ca and that's wifairy.ca to check out Wolf Island Fairy departure times. Your last live music lineup for the week features one of Canada's most well-known Juno Award-winning family bands, Lahee, who perform on Wednesday, May 31st from 7.30 to 10pm at the Kingston Grand Theatre, located at 218 Princess Street. Lahee's performance is electric and their sound is infectious, as they combine traditional Celtic music with contemporary styles and instruments. Tickets are available for around $41 and you can purchase them either online at kingstongrand.ca or at the venue. That's all I've got for you on live music lineup on this week's episode of Kingston Curator, but stay tuned because I've got an interview with Cacao coming up next. Today, I've got Ricky Brandt, better known as Cacao, here at the station with me. With over a decade in the music industry, Ricky has solidified his presence in the psychedelic and funk genres through his work with various bands such as the notable Spencer Evans Band and through his experimentation with sound, seen in his work with funk and electronic music to create his self-titled electro-psychedelifunk genre. Today, Cacao sits down to discuss his newest EP, Mementos, and upcoming performance for Spring Reverb. Ricky, thank you so much for joining me. I know that myself and our listeners are eager to hear more about your new music and live performances. It's really exciting to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. So um, I know that you've got um, performances coming up um, at Spring Reverb, and you've also just released a new EP called Mementos. I took a listen to it. It was really good. Um, definitely everyone should check that out. Um, I kind of wanted to know um, more about your solo career. How did you establish your solo career, and what are the influences that made you want to go solo? Um... Wow, uh, the influences that made me want to go solo was really just my uh, old band breaking up, I would say, about like, wow, six, seven years ago, about, oh, geez. And um, yeah, through that, I uh, started to teach myself piano and just wanted to hone in what I really wanted to do. And through that ex- uh, exploration of electronic music, um, it was really easy to conduct as a solo experiment and it's led me to this point now and just 
having amalgamated enough music and being able to record again as a solo component um, just throughout the day, being able to write and record songs at the rate I do with not having to rely on much other people having a studio at home uh, has just really kind of proliferated what I do and yeah especially the amount of work and tracks I realized I have created over uh, 160 tracks over three years that's really impressive yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you and um, yeah it's just the 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 drive that I find I have just as a solo musician just constantly pushes that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, being able to kind of work from your own studio, you have more control and um, say in things that you do, and like that sounds like really important to the process that you undergo and the fact that you've been able to make so many like records. Really Absolutely, cool. yeah. It's it's more of a definitive process. I'm the only uh, kind of decision maker in that process, and then I prefer to get things out because I just create a lot rather than compiling an album year after year and then having so many kind of B-side tracks. Mm -hmm. I like to just get things out as singles and just release a lot. So I let go of my music a lot more often than I find that uh, people in bands often do hold on to like albums where they put in that much like a year and a half worth of effort because it takes so many people to amalgamate that one bit of music yeah exactly um and speaking of um being able to create um many different types of um pieces on your own um you did just release like i mentioned a new ep mementos really cool um, absolutely thank you and Obviously, um, I've read before, um, obviously your genre is more um, electric, psychedelic, and funk. I saw that you kind of call it like electro, psychedelic, psychedelic funk, is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's pretty really much. Sick. <laughs> that's really sick. Um, so when I took a listen, um, I could definitely see that, especially in um, one of the songs called Make It Wet. I like that. That was really cool. Oh, thank you. Um, I was wondering um, what it was like for you to create this um, EP and um, if there's anything that you want your listeners to know about um, the process of making it. Yeah, this EP was really different. Uh, it wasn't so vastly different in the terms that it was uh, how it was created. The energy going into it was uh, different uh, with who I collaborated with, my uh, amazing homie Dupel. Huge shout out to Dupel for uh, being just an absolute dude. Being able to create with him was, I think, the main factor in where and how the sound came about, how the album came about. We had both gone through uh, similar breakups at the point in time. Uh, and then a year later, I'd seen him at the mansion performing a set. And his set really stood out to me because it was hard. It was more electronic-based kind of sample music rather than rappers rapping on beats he was seeming to try to create a bigger picture of what he wanted to do and i uh i really respected that so approached him to want to work with him and then eventually led to this idea and um so we figured that it would be a four song ep we would work backwards throughout the relationship so it would be the lamenting point toward the end of the album, which would be the uh, the lustful start uh, and heated uh, going of a relationship. And um, yeah, it was really cool. He would uh, write 
most of the songs and uh, I would we would have uh, the ideas placed actually of all the four tracks that we wanted to do the way that the relationship and the uh, concept of the album would kind of flow worked backwards and worked on random tracks at a time but knew the energy we would want to put into them so like uh, I made a post the other day uh, about the one track mementos which is a very deeply personal and uh, honest track it's kind of a lot more sparse with just piano bass and drums his voice and some harmonies and uh, it was it was in that sense where I had played freestyled a random piano part just with the energy in my mind and going forward uh, through improvisation uh, I recorded this piano piece and that's what the second and title track is mementos and then he came and collaborated on it a few hours would go by and I would just studio nerd out and <laughs> just be like a being so many sounds and I'm like I'm sorry if you're getting tired of this just look into him because it'd be like a half an hour of just like listening to like three seconds constantly right Rep repetition yeah. yeah yeah and um yeah it was just a really awesome uh way to work together because he influenced a lot of my sound within the uh hip-hop influence mm -hmm. and the more kind of laid-back tempos the lo-fi kind of feels like at the end of make it wet when it pitches down and slows down and just becomes super lo-fi, gritty, psychedelic, and funky, and yeah, yeah, it was, was really, really fun to work on. Yeah, that was that sounds really interesting, especially like um, being able to connect with somebody like going through similar experiences and like creating something like that with them, like the deepness of like those relationships, like when you listen to it, being able to share that kind of experience with Dupel has been really nice to have. Yeah, I, I think that's the best kind of thing to ha have around you as a creative kind of person because then you're able to open up that experience of relative experience to one another. And through that, like as creators, as musicians, as people who output content, uh, connection is the best thing to find yourself in music. You know, I've been through a lot of my life throughout kidney disease and you know, the human experience and whatever everybody goes through. And music has always helped me lift and know that I'm not alone in these common threads because if it's being sang about and millions of people are following this artist singing about it, then nobody's really alone when they think they are. Exactly, yeah. It's something that, like, if it's something you experience and you put that out there, you know that other people can connect to it as well, either um, with, like, with Dupel, since you were able to work together, or with your listeners, too, like... Absolutely. <laughs> or, yeah, just dancing and <laughs> raving, having fun. Oh, yeah, raving right? is always a good time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, speaking of raving, um, can your fans expect you um, to perform any of your um, songs from Mementos um, at your upcoming performance at Spring Reverb? Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, we will probably see uh, a parents from Dupel even to that's get exciting. up and play live. Yeah, that's exciting. Oh, nice. Okay, so that's something to look forward to. Absolutely. Whether we do uh, just one song or the full EP and whatever, we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah, stay tuned. Stay tuned for more. You'll have to come <laughs> to the concert. Let's at the Toucan, June third.
Exactly. Thank you for dropping the location of the date. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, about Spring Reverb, um, what are you most looking forward to about your live show? Oh, um, <laughs> I've been making uh, a lot of new music. Uh, I think only one song I'm playing is not from me being written or released this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, so just a ton of brand new music. Um, probably going to even work on tracks up until the day of. So uh, maybe a possible reinvention or evolution, I would say, of sound, mm. sound design, where I can take uh, local kinks and bass music. Yeah, I just... I love bass. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's let's shake the room. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like mixing um, bass sounds from local artists here in Kingston into like um, what you're planning to show. Oh, I'm uh, with working on all new music. Okay. It's uh, verging on. <laughs> it's verging on being like cacao dubstep now. That's cool though. That's yeah. Cool. So it's like electrofunk meets dubstep. It's like, I don't know, psychedelically composed funk and yeah. just gritty funk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like an amalgamation of like all these different things. That's one thing that I really liked um, listening to you just as an artist. The fact that you could like mesh all these different genres together and it sounded cool to listen to. And like, I really enjoyed listening to it. So like, I did want to know um, if there are any other upcoming performances uh, that you want um, fans and listeners to know about that you've got going on. Yeah, absolutely. So, I do believe June 16th, I will be at Musiki with uh, the homie Matt Almeida, Chris Hart, Hartman, and Dupel will be throwing down a set as well. And that's going to be a dope show. After that, going up to Sonic Springs in Paisley, Ontario. Huge shout out to Sonic Springs. That's uh, July 7th to 9th weekend. Big bass music festival out in the woods. Should nice. be really fun. And then from there on, uh, yeah, we got a few more. Uh, stay tuned to the socials. All right, yeah, stay tuned to socials. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mary. It's been awesome talking to you. You too. Thank you again to Ricky Brandt, better known as Cacao, for stopping by to cover his new EP Mementos and upcoming performance at Spring Reverb. You can listen to Cacao's new release, as well as his other music, over on Spotify, Apple Music, and Bandcamp at cacao.bandcamp.com. And that's K-A-K-A-O-W.bandcamp.com. Also, like Ricky mentioned, don't forget to check him out for Spring Reverb at The Toucan, located at 76 Princess Street, from 1 to 2 a.m. on Saturday, June 3rd. Doors open at 9 p.m., and the show is free to attend. Now keep on listening because Lauren discusses the world premiere of The Lancashire Lass with composer Leslie Arden coming up next. And last but certainly not least, the Dan School of Drama and Music at Queen's University will be presenting the 2023 Watershed Festival this weekend, May 26th to 27th at the Kingston Grand Theatre. The festival celebrates new and innovative works of Canadian and international musical theatre, and this year's events will include the world premiere of The Lancashire Lass, a new musical by Leslie Arden about the life of suffragette Annie Kenny. CFRC sat down with Leslie Arden, giving you the inside scoop on this brand new show. We are here with Leslie Arden, creator of the new musical, The Lancashire Lass, that will be running tonight and tomorrow night at the Watershed Festival. Thank you so much for being here. It's lovely to be here with you. We're so happy to host you here, even though it's 
surely a very busy time preparing for the festival. Um, would you mind telling our listeners kind of just to start off? I'm sure they'd be interested to know a little bit about your career uh, in musical theater. Well, I guess uh, my story is the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, All three of my parents were in music and theater. Uh, They were singer-actors, and one worked in production for TV and film. So um, I just followed in their footsteps, although uh, I did go to Guelph University for Sciences, thinking I would get a real job and be a physicist or a geneticist, (laughs) but it didn't take. Uh, Yes, I've done some performing, some teaching, some directing, some music directing, some piano accompanying. I started on woodwinds, so I've played some. Some in some pit bands for various musicals. Uh, I've done incidental music for the Stratford Festival. I've done a few things for film scores. So varied, varied things. I think uh, that keeps you healthy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh, that's I love the Stratford Festival. Very fun to hear that name come up. Yes. Um, kind of moving on to the show now, the Lancashire Lass. How did you originally come across this story of Annie Kenny? Well, I was asked, I believe it was 2019, I was asked to be the inaugural writer-in-residence for the Dan School here mm. at Queen's University. Dan School of Music and Drama, I think is its whole name. Um, <clears throat> of course, I jumped at the opportunity. It's right. a two-year position, and they commissioned me to write a musical specifically for their school. And the only mandate, uh, the only stipulation, was that it had to have far more women than men because there are far, far more women in the music theater uh, courses than men. Right. Yeah. So I had to find a topic that had a lot of women in it. Mm. Um, and somebody told me about there was a group of women in England during the suffragette movement, during the suffrage movement, and they were called uh, variously the the bodyguard or the Amazons or the suffragitsu. They learned <laughs> jujitsu and they protected the top brass of the the WSPU, the the top brass of the union that was fighting for women rights and the mm. right to vote and I thought that's fascinating and I, I talked to people and nobody had heard that story so I thought I would write about that but when I did the research I stumbled on the relationship between Christabel Pankhurst the head of the militant movement and Annie Kenny a factory worker from Lancashire uh, who uh, worked with Christabel for the the right to vote and uh, I found that relationship fraught and fascinating mm-hmm. so I switched I switched the angle of the show. Okay, that sounds so um, fascinating. And what do you think you want the audience to then take away from that story that they're going to hear this weekend? Well, I think that everyone knows the end of the the suffragette story. We know that women got the vote eventually. So um, there's no suspense there. What I'm writing, uh, what I hope that I have written is a character study. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's uh, both Annie Kenny and Christabel Pankhurst, and uh, the the theme throughout seems seems to have become absolute power corrupts absolutely, mm. and it's just it's a character study of I'm not I don't want to give anything away but right, it's a character course. study of somebody very interesting and how something can begin uh, with the right idea and go terribly wrong. Okay, that sounds really um, intriguing. Very much looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Um, So being in residence with the dance school and then um, 
being in residence with the dance school and moving on to this work, um, was it originally the plan that this musical that was commissioned would be part of the Watershed Festival? Was Watershed always the plan? Yes, it was, and it was postponed year after year. Right. Yeah, it was supposed to be premiered two years ago, Mm -hmm. um, but of course cancelled because of COVID, and then it was supposed to premiere last year, cancelled because of COVID, and thank goodness it was, because it, it allowed us more time to workshop, more time to develop, it allowed me more time to do the orchestrations, Mm. And um, I think we're more ready to open now. Do you feel that this musical kind of stands out from your previous work to you in in any particular way? Or is there a theme that you find kind of comes up recurring again and again as you you write these things? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, Well, I've never written anything in 1905 before. Uh, So uh, I guess my biggest show was the House of Martin Guerre, which was the 16th century in the south of France. And I've written other big shows, and another one is contemporary, another one was at the end of the Second War, 1945, lots of swing music. Uh, this is the first time I tackled something in Britain in 1905. Okay. So it's a different sound palette than my mm. other shows, I think. The Watershed Festival will also include a new work showcase and a family-friendly show based on Chicken Little. Tickets are available now through the Kingston Grand website, and you can check out more information at watershedmusicaltheater.com. That does it for us this week on The Kingston Curator. Be sure to tune in next week for your creative scoop. This is Lauren Tucker with Mary McKetty signing off on 101.9 FM CFRC. Have a fantastic weekend.